John Piper is one of the most influential pastors of the 21st century. He was a pastor in Minnesota for over three decades where thousands of people would come to hear him speak. He's written books that have sold millions, and it's okay if you don't know him, but he's considered one of the, be, uh, one of the more influential Christian leaders of our generation. He was on a panel once where him and a bunch of guys were talking about the Bible. And someone asked him, while 1,000 people listened in, they put him on a spot and said, John, why do you believe the Bible? And he said, because my mama told me it was true. Because my mother loves me and has authority over me. And throughout my younger years, she told me to believe in the Bible. She taught me that it was true, and I just believed her. A simple truth that was passed down to the next generation. Uh, Most moms love being a mom and consider it an awesome privilege to be a mom. But maybe you feel sometimes fear because you wonder if your teaching is making a difference. Or you know you're supposed to teach, but you're not always sure what to say. Motherhood requires teaching, but what do you say? I am well aware that today is Mother's Day, and I'm I'm not a mom, and I, I there's there's just so much that comes with being a mom that I just cannot ever know or comprehend or articulate. I know that Mother's Day is a time of joy but also a time of sorrow. I know that some of you feel more depressed or sad on the holidays, including this one. If you had a strained relationship with your mother, it can bring back bad memories. Or we know people in our own lives or friends who who really want to be a mom, but for some reason it hasn't happened yet. And that is just a very hard trial to bear. Many of you are way ahead of me in parenting, have decades more of experience than I do. And for some, that might include you to not pay attention to it or not regard anything I say, including maybe us men who say, well, today's Mother's Day. I'll just wait till Father's Day for my talk. But whether you're a mother or not, or there's people in your life, and there's truth that you can have through the Bible to pass down. All of Scripture is breathed out by God. So our authority this morning is not my experience, but the Word of God. And this passage here in the book of Proverbs has something for everyone. We're looking at Proverbs 31, and as soon as we say Proverbs 31, many people think, oh, the Proverbs 31 woman. The woman that makes me feel guilty. Her. No, not her. We're not. Before there's the Proverbs 31 woman, there's the Proverbs 31 king. And in very overlooked part of the chapter 31 is this, this conversation with Lemuel and his mother. He's a king, and his mother is teaching him, or better yet, he's letting us know about a mother a lesson from his mother from childhood. 
if we could sum up the teaching that his mom gives him in one or two sentences, it's this. The power and the obligations it brings. She is showing him what an ideal leader is supposed to live like. That's what she teaches him. Power and the obligations it brings and what it means to be a real leader. Those are the lessons that this mother sees fit to pass down to the next generation. And as we work work through this passage verse by verse, there are many observations that we can take away from it. The first is very obvious. A mother spends time with her child. In order to teach, one must spend time with that person. Time with children is never wasted. I I once saw a pastor who has nine kids post something on social media, some parenting advice. Nine children. He summed it up in three bullet points. He tries to make it real simple. He says, tell them about Jesus. Spend a lot of time with them. Don't kill them. (laughs) That is good parenting advice right there. So you don't need to read 20 books, just follow those three things. I'll focus on number two. I'll let someone else preach a sermon on number three. He says, spend a lot of time with them. He's trying to oversimplify because we we parents or those who have people under you and some sort of authority, it can be really easy to overcomplicate. What am I supposed to be doing? One of the biggest things is this, showing your love through time. It's true you are the boss. It's true you have authority. It's true they should follow your lead. But anyone knows that we are more inclined to listen to someone who has invested in us, who's demonstrated that love through time, that that faithfulness and relational capital first needs to be built before truths can be passed down. And usually that is best through time. If you, if you have a hard time being present when you're with your kids or grandkids, I'm, I'm like that too. I'm, I'm thinking about the future and tomorrow and thing I got to read and thing I got to write. And I, I can be like that too. I, I know it's hard to be in the present. But as you proactively challenge yourself and look at your week or your month or your quarter, carving out time for play dates and going out to dinner and having that time blocked out, that naturally lends itself to talking about God, talking about life being able to pass down what you know from life and the Bible to the ones you love the most. So first we see, obviously, a mother spending time with her child. She also teaches him, verse 1, the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. Right away we see a man in the scene. His name is Lemuel. He's a king. We don't know much about him. He's not all over Proverbs. He's not all over the Old Testament. We are very limited, but we know he's a king. This is a royal family, and the mother is speaking to him. King sounds really lofty, like really high in the sky, right? So you can say a president or the leader of the chess club or the captain of the golf team, captain of the hockey team, someone with leadership influence. So she's, she's speaking to him, and he says an oracle. Oracle means teaching or spiritual advice. She's passing down. The the common theme throughout all of Scripture is that Christian parents should be teaching their children. For some generations, they say, just let them figure it out. Figuring things out on your own, 
in the school of hard knocks can make it more powerful once you learn, but usually there's a lot of scars that are accompanied with that too. It is best for parents to teach and to lead. That's what it says. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8 through 9, it says this, hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. So the assumption is that fathers should be providing instruction, mothers should be providing teaching. That's the whole theme of the book of Proverbs, wisdom, how to apply the Bible. Who's supposed to teach me? My mom, my dad. That's the theme. In the book of Deuteronomy, as the Israelites are going to the promised land, God is like, look, I just rescued you. Exodus happened. The redemption has happened. Now we're going to the promised land. Milk and honey and a foretaste of heaven. But before we go there, I got some rules for you. Here's one for the parents. Deuteronomy 6, 7 through 9. He says this. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Talking about the Old Testament law. So in our day, it would be like the Bible. So you shall teach them to your children And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I love how that's informal. You know, sit in your house, talk about God. When you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, when you drop them off to daycare or preschool, when you're on vacation, when you're in the park, little opportunities that are spontaneous and informal, those are some of the best times to talk about God, to talk about life. Structure is very good. Structure is, in some sense, essential, but don't overlook the spontaneity. This doesn't have to be so rigid. In the car, that's a great time. But we see in scriptures that Christian parents should instruct and teach their children to embrace that. Confirmation class is wonderful. It's a beautiful time to learn about theology, about doctrine, about ethics, about church. It's wonderful. But pastors all over the globe are very limited on what they can do in three months. So if a child receives three months of teaching and instruction but the rest of the better part of 18 years, there's not as much, the confirmation will feel somewhat limited. It's still important, but it won't be as impactful as the regular diet of regular instruction all year round. The primary place where God expects teaching and instruction and the transmission of Christian values is in the home, at home. So if you you have children, if you have grandchildren or nieces and nephews and people who, little ones, uh, just encourage you that at, at dinner, maybe as you eat, you can open up the Bible and just read one chapter of the New Testament. It doesn't have to be flashy or sexy. You won't do it every night. You can pray with your children before bed. You can read a Christian book before bed. When you, when you go off on them accidentally or when you mess up, just going up to them and saying, hey, look, Daddy needs Jesus too. Grandpa needs Jesus too. I'm sorry. I don't have it all together. I'm I'm walking with God just like I want you to walk with God, but I need repentance and forgiveness daily too. Please forgive me. And modeling that humility at home. If you look at all the studies about 
like the best way to pass down the faith. And, and none of us are perfect and only Jesus can save. And there's, there's exceptions to every rule. But just genuinely living out the faith throughout the week is an attractive model for godly living. So feel encouraged to spend time with children, to teach them. But also know that occasionally a rebuke and discipline are warranted. Verse 2. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? This is a call for attention. This mother's trying to wake this kid up. She says, son, three times in one verse. She says, son of my vows. That's like saying, hey, like Hannah, I dedicated you to the Lord. Look, I... I stood right here. I had you baptized. I baptized you in this church. The congregation said that they would agree to help raise you in the Lord. We did a baby dedication here. I promised God I would raise you in the faith, and now you're, you're going the wrong direction. Wake up. Many commentators believe that King Lemuel in his reign was probably not doing the right thing. And his mom noticed that. And his mom said, look, I got to jump in. I'm your mama. I got something to tell you. Pay attention. From this passage, what we see is, yes, shower with grace, shower with love, shower with acceptance. But occasionally, if not regularly, discipline and rebuke are required from Christian parents. Proverbs 13, 24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. In his commentary on Proverbs, Derek Kinder says that discipline requires more than just words. Nevertheless, discipline should never be too severe, should never be too harsh, and it should always be for the sake of love. I love you, my son. I love you too much to see you go this route. You don't understand why my tone is like this right now. You don't understand why I have to do this to you, but I do because I need you to know that if you don't correct this, by the time you go off to college, this will be a disaster for you. I have to step in now. And just like the God of the Bible who loves each and every one of his children, when we sin, when we stray, he brings his loving correction to say, Look, I love you too much to go off and do your own thing. You think you know everything about life. Let me tell you, you don't. I'm God. I know everything. I know what's best for you. Come back to me. I want your relationship. It's okay. No matter what sins you've committed, no matter how far you've been walking away from God, no matter what kind of sexual sin, no matter what kind of thing you've done, it's okay. There's grace for that. Now come back to me. I have to send you this discipline because I love you too much to see you go in the wrong direction. God will discipline us from time to time, and parents in the most loving way should discipline as well. She has a call for attention, and usually when you call for attention, you should say something serious, because if you call for attention and don't say anything relevant, then you lose your credibility. You're like the boy who cried wolf. You can't be doing son, 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 and then not have something important to say. She has something really serious to say. What does she have to say? 
Well, the next thing we see in this passage is that mother is about to have a meaningful, deep conversation with her son. Before we get to what she says, I, I want to bring up that, you know, when you say, hey, how was your day or what did you learn in school today? Those are great questions to ask, wonderful questions. But we should be encouraged to go beyond the surface level and have deep, meaningful, heart-to-heart conversations with those we love. Kids long for that, even though they won't articulate it. They long for a safe space to feel vulnerable, where they can ask mommy or daddy or grandpa or grandma anything, and no one's going to laugh, and no one's going to reject them. There may be discipline, but there will always be love. A serious, meaningful conversation about many things. What is she going to talk about? My friend Rick, he's a pastor, wonderful man, and he has five kids. Here's the kind of questions that he asks on a regular basis to his kids. Maybe this will spur your thinking. He asks them this. What is God teaching you? Is there a specific sin you're aware of? in your life that you need my help defeating? Are you more aware of my encouragement or my criticism? Do I act the same at church when I am at home? Is there any way I've sinned against you that I've not repented of? How am I doing as a dad? Does my relationship with mommy make you excited to be married one day? getting to the heart it's hard to ask those questions because we don't want to hear negative feedback from people who are under our authority the big sin in Proverbs is not being teachable that goes for all of us we never not we're we're always in need of instruction including me I'm I'm still learning, I'm still growing I'm still, I, I need confession I need repentance, I need Jesus daily this, this is for all of us together. Whenever, whenever I'm trying to lose weight or lose a few pounds, I'm, sometimes I, I don't want to step on that scale because I don't, I don't want to see the number not go down. I don't want to feel like, oh man, I failed at my goal this week. My heart might race fast. But if I don't check the bad news of where I'm at, then I, I, Reaching my goal becomes significantly harder, but if I, if I get on that scale and see that number not where I want it to be, then I learned that stung, that hurt, but now I have a goal, and now I know I need to make progress, and it makes me more disciplined throughout the week to exercise and eat better. So too, those of us who have kids and grandchildren, we may not want to have hard conversations because we don't want to hear, actually, Mommy, you, you kind of you hurt my feelings three weeks ago when you said this, or Daddy, I didn't like when you... You yelled at me and you, you didn't say you were sorry. I why, why do you feel like you can't say sorry? It's, it's painful to hear those things, but in order to grow and improve, we, we have to ask those hard questions. And here now the mom is going to start having a meaningful conversation. She calls for attention, and this is what she says. Verse 3, do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. She's talking about sex with her son. She's talking about sex with her son. One licensed professional counselor says this, we live in a sex-crazed culture that threatens to form your child's morality. 
Listen to this sentence. You cannot afford to remain silent. We want our kids to grow up knowing how God intended life, relationships, and sexuality to be lived out. Young people will hear the voice that is the loudest or the most persuasive. Let it be God's voice in and through you. In this immediate context, a mother is talking to her son who's a king. A king, when you have money and power and status, it's easier to overindulge into temptations because you have quicker access to that. People are more attracted to those who have status and money and power. And in no way is the mother having a low view of marriage. God created marriage. Marriage is a wonderful, amazing thing. But what she's telling her son is to not go after fast women. To be sure and to be clear, the issue of adultery is just as much on the men, and if not often more initiated by men. But she's talking to her son, right? So she's talking to her son. She's saying, listen, I, I, I need to talk to you about something. Don't break God's rules in this way because if you do, you think it's fun at first, but actually it will eventually wreck your life. I'm telling you right now. So, so for those of you who are parents and you have kids and grandkids, you have the awesome privilege of embracing the awkwardness and talking to your children about sex. To speak positively about it. This is a gift from God to be enjoyed in the context of marriage between one man and one woman. To speak positive, to speak what the Bible says about it. Say, hey, look, God's a good God. He's not holding on on you. He's not a killjoy. He's for you. He created this, but on his timing and in his will. If you break his will, if you break his timing, you think you're going to feel freedom at first, and maybe you will, but you will incur emotional damage that will be hard to shake off later. Not to mention you'll be sinning against a holy God. So talk, talk, talk to your kids, speak positively, positively, but also the pitfalls of pornography and sex before marriage and God's covenant and God's intention. This is not a one-time conversation. I know sometimes we talk about the birds and the bees, but this is a regular, habitual, many times bringing it up, creating a safe space to inform your kids. If you don't, Google will. If you don't, Instagram will. If you don't, secular teachers and secular students will. It is likely they will hear the wrong thing. It is likely they will go down the wrong path. Use your voice, use your authority to instruct kids on something they're interested about. She talks to them about sex, but also next, alcohol. It's in the Bible. First sex, then alcohol. Verse 4, it is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink. Who says the Bible is boring? First we have sex, now we have alcohol. Everyone's paying attention this morning. Everyone's on the edge of their seat. I feel it. If only we could have had that through the Gospel of John sermon series. Alcohol can be a good gift. Psalm 104.15 says that God created wine to gladden the heart of man. There's always these pharisaical, super... People who always want to sort of try to make God seem like he's a killjoy. They need to be ignored as long as you're over 21 in Missouri or Illinois. You can enjoy an alcoholic beverage to the glory of God. But obviously drunkenness is a sin. And just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. If there's alcoholism in your family, then it might be best to avoid it, right? You might have the freedom, but the self-control might be more difficult. 
So the, the New Testament principle, as one ethicist says, is freedom, self-control. Freedom, yes, I'm 21. Now self-control. They both go together. If you don't have self-control, you cannot enjoy your freedom. If you have self-control, you may enjoy your freedom. That's the beauty of it. That's the beauty. But notice, notice carefully, as the mother's talking about sex and alcohol to her kid, she's having these meaningful conversations, not just for his mental and emotional health. Like, this is not just so that he can have a six-figure job later. Like, this is not just so that he won't impregnate a girl in high school and have that potentially make this hard for him. She's not thinking individually, although she is. She is talking about illicit uses of good things that God created, not for his personal well-being, but for those who are under him. He's a king, power, influence. Leaders are supposed to help those flourish. And if he goes the wrong route with God's good gifts, he will not help those under his care to flourish. Verse 5, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed, the law, and deprive who? All the oppressed of the rights. She's thinking about the oppressed. When you're the president or you're the king or you're a ruler and you have 300 million people under you and any decisions you make affects all of them and you're out using God's good gifts in the wrong way, you're going to hurt millions. And she knows he's a king. She's like, you're a king. What are you doing? You're supposed to help the marginalized, the outcast, the widow, the hurt. This would be like the captain of the hockey team. What are you doing being arrogant and trying to be better? No, you're supposed to help your teammates out, not bring them down, not make fun of them. You're the captain. Come on, act like it. You're not going to make fun of your classmates and peers. You're going to serve them and bless them. That's what leadership looks like. Being a king is not about having people serve them, but about being a servant. It's not about giving orders or pointing fingers. She, she uses sarcasm in verse 6 and 7. She's like, hey, let, let those other people who, who look to alcohol to solve their problems, let, let them do that. You, you, that's not you. You're royalty. You're a king. Act like it. Say, hey, you're, you're a child of God. Act like it. I was with my friend Jordan recently, and he's a pastor out in West County, and he was telling me about his parents and the good and the bad and so forth. And he said, there was one thing my parents always said to me that stuck with me, and it helped me. And they would often say to him, look, you are a child of God. Not in a shaming way, not in a guilt-ridden way, but in a way of saying, like, your identity, even when you don't feel like it, you are a precious child of the Most High God created in His image. And whether we realize it or not, when we hear the same sentences over and over and over again, it affects our identity in a positive or negative way. And when you tell your children, hey, look, you belong to Jesus, you belong to God, in a loving way, it makes them think, wow, yeah, what am I doing? Yeah, I'm I'm a child of the Most High God. Of course I'm not going to purposely sin against Him. I want to honor Him. So the purpose of this advice is for the oppressed of the rights. This mother is teaching, and she's showing him what an ideal leader and ruler looks like. Verse 8 and 9, she says, open your mouth for who? The mute For those who are destitute, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Don't you see? She's trying to help the poor, the needy, those who can't talk, the unborn, 
the widow, the orphan, the outside, the marginalized, the depressed, the destitute, the despondent, the foreigner. That's who leaders are supposed to help. That's the purpose of this obedience. This is what power looks like. These are the obligations of leadership. This is what an ideal leader looks like. Motherhood requires this kind of teaching. There's, almost, there's only so much control we have. It is important to realize that, that God is sovereign and in control. Sometimes things don't make sense in parenting. It's really hard. If we didn't have it modeled well for us, it makes it even more difficult. But when you consider what your aspiration is for your kids, and there's so many good aspirations like six seven, eight, ten-figure job, or getting a master's degree, or being successful. and I want that too for my children, um, to be fruitful or successful in some way. Or, but it's important that we, that we not want that just because we ourselves are looking for validation through them. That somehow it will boost us up or our security if Everything goes perfectly. Look at me. And yes, 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 you, you are responsible. And you should feel like, yes, I did a good job by the grace of God. But you, you are, if you're a Christian, you are already validated by God. You are loved. You are cared for. You are forgiven. Now, now out, of, out of that, we parent. And here, the, here the, the biggest thing that we should desire for children, according to what this mother passed down, is that they would understand the obligations of power, that they would be men and women of character. Character is king. It's more important than earthly success. And too much earthly success without Christian formation has a way of ruining people's character. Winston Churchill is the former prime minister of the UK. I was reading about how he was working with a lunder, um, an editor in London, and this editor sent him, hey, are these all the people that influenced you tremendously and were your teachers in your life? And he replied, you have omitted the biggest one, my mother. Truth be told, despite Lemuel's mother who taught him well, Lemuel was a sinner as well. He still sinned even after getting good teaching. He had a good mother. There's only One king throughout the history of the world who never sinned, who was the perfect king, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He perfectly defended the rights of the poor. He perfectly helped the marginalized and taught his disciples. He perfectly served others for the right reasons. And unlike Lemuel, Christ has the power to offer forgiveness. Forgiveness for all of our parenting mistakes. That we can draw near to Jesus and humbly ask him for forgiveness. But also ask him for strength and wisdom moving forward. Only when our children come to worship Christ will they have the right understanding of sex, alcohol, and the obligations of power. Only when they come to worship Christ can they be ideal leaders in society? May you encourage them to that end.
Let's pray. Lord, none of us can say we are perfect. All of us have sinned in many ways. None of us can say we are perfect parents or perfect Christians or perfect leaders. Lord, please forgive us for our sins, known and unknown, confessed and unconfessed. Lord, I just pray for those right now who feel shame, who feel guilt, who feel conviction. I pray that, Lord, no matter where they are, I pray that you just bring them back to you, that they would start living for you again. Or for those who feel guilt, Lord, I pray that you remove it and you give them a sense of peace. And I pray that you give them wisdom. pray you give us all help. Lord, we need you. Lord, we need your wisdom. Help us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.